0: Now let's bring our minds back to 1 Kings chapter 18. There's Elijah on Mount Carmel. Carmel means a park, a garden. The mount today, it's flush with vegetation. Green foliage is everywhere. Baal was the god of fertility. How appropriate the contest is. As they stood upon Mount Carmel and they saw all this lush vegetation around them. And so the contest is set. We come back to 1 Kings chapter 18. So the confrontation then would take the form of a contest upon Mount Carmel. And we see that the location and the topography of Carmel is suitable for a great crowd to assemble to view all the proceedings. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long hold ye between two opinions? If Yahweh be God, follow him. But if Baal follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now we've already considered the name of Elijah. My my God is Yahweh. And there he is impressing upon the, the minds of the children of Israel. Who's your God? Who is your God? If Yahweh be your God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But in the mind of Elijah, there was no if at all. There was only one God, one living God, and he was Yahweh, the God of Israel. Verse 23 Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and, and put no fire under. And I dress the other bullock, and lay it on the wood, and, and put no fire under. Now, there are some details here that we should take note of. The first point I'd like you to appreciate is that Elijah gives them the responsibility of getting the sacrifices. It was a representative offering. The offering was to represent them, as is described in Leviticus chapter 1. It was a representative offering. The other thing is that, um, tellingly, he asked them to pick a bullock. Now, what was a bullock used for under the law? Well, we know in Leviticus chapter 4, it spoke of a national sin offering. And the children of Israel had gone a whoring, hadn't they? They had followed the, the idols of the nations. So it was suitable then, wasn't it? That it was a, a national sin offering. They had sinned in the sight of God. But there's more than that, brethren and sisters. He says there in the end of verse 23, Dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood and put no fire under. And we know from Leviticus chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, that is the language in terms of preparation for the burnt offering. Now, what was unique about the burnt offering? Well, everything was consumed upon the altar, wasn't it? It was all devoted to God. And so we see here, then, Elijah as a representative, as a high priest there, mediating for the nation of Israel... And he calls for the nation of Israel to provide for themselves a sacrifice. It had to be a representative offering. It was a national sin offering, for they had grossly sinned in the sight of God. But in their labors, they had to devote everything to their God. It was a burnt offering. Everything was going to be consumed, as all was going to be consumed upon the altar when the fire came down from heaven upon Mount Carmel. So this was in the mind of Elijah. Now, brothers and sisters, we're on Mount Carmel. And we face that challenge. And in our lives, are we those, brethren, and sisters, the sons and daughters of God, that have within our own names, within our own characters, my God is Yahweh? Or are we, as is described here, a nation of Israel who halt between two opinions? That word halt there literally means to become lame. They become uh, spiritually lame. Young's renders that till... When you're leaping on the two branches, and there's a lovely figure there, Elijah, saying that the nation of Israel were, were hopping as an as a unstable bird. Hopping from one branch of false doctrine to another. They couldn't settle. It was Baal, Yahweh, Baal, Yahweh, Baal, Yahweh. Are oh, we like that with our lives, brothers and sisters? It's so easy being in places such as this to be of one mind and full of the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ says these words. He that is not with me is against me. The Lord Jesus Christ will not accept lukewarm worship. And so as the children of Israel had to decide, Baal or Yahweh, we too have to decide. My God is Yahweh, or we halt between two opinions. And the exhortation is very, very somber, and it's very direct, is it not? Well, verse 24 then, and call ye on the name of your God, says Elijah, and I will call upon the name of Yahweh, And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Have you wondered why they said it is well spoken? They were delighted that fire was going to determine who was God. Because who was Baal? Baal was also viewed as the sun god, the god of fire and god of light. And you can imagine they were tingling with excitement. All of a sudden it was to their advantage. But not so, brethren and sisters, because we know the writer to the the Hebrews, in the final verse of Hebrews chapter 12, says, God is what? He's a consuming fire. And God had already answered in fire. Let's just quickly uh, look to a few passages to see how God has already answered by fire. Elijah knew that God could answer this day. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. We just want to quickly look at a few verses here that there was no... um, In balance between Baal and Yahweh, it was a fair contest. One was the God of fire and God of light, and here was Yahweh, the God of Israel, that had already answered his people by means of fire. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 17, when the covenant was was cut with Abraham. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. (coughs) And in the same day, the Lord, or Yahweh, made a covenant with Abraham. So he answered Abraham. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. And we see that there was a sign given to to Moses at Horeb. Exodus chapter 3. And we know these references well. It's worth reminding ourselves of them. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Moses, in a flame of fire, out of the mist of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And just over a few pages now to Exodus chapter 13, and verse 21, where we read of the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And the Lord went before them by a day, in a pillar of cloud, to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light, to go by day and So Elijah knew exactly that the contest um, was well balanced between Baal and Yahweh. It was a fair contest. But who was going to win? Let's go back then to 1 Kings chapter 18. Well, Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, he gave them the first opportunity to call down fire from heaven. We see there in verse 26 that they called upon Baal... From morning unto noon. O Baal hear us. We read in verse 26. This repetitive mantra. O Baal hear us. But there was no answer we read. So then it says. At the end of verse 26. They leapt upon the altar. You'll notice in the margin. They leapt up and down. They were in a frantic state. Now it's significant I feel. That that word leapt. Leapt. Um, in verse twenty-six, is the same word as halt in verse twenty-one. Please look at that. When Elijah said, "How long halt ye between two opinions?", it's the same word. So from morning to noon they were jumping up and down upon the altar. And what came over their minds was the word halt. They began to doubt. They were beginning to doubt their false deity. And that word um, lept also comes from the verb to spring over, to skip. They they were dancing in in a a form of celebration to their deity, for their deity to respond. They were doing absolutely everything for Baal to respond that morning. They couldn't do any more. But there was no response. Now I just want you to imagine that scene. Oh Baal, hear us. Oh Baal, hear us. For six long hours. A continual mantra. And there was Elijah. This prophet of God. With all these scriptural references. Pouring through his mind. Imagine how this prophet felt. Witnessing that scene. And how do you think Yahweh. The God of Israel. Felt when he observed from afar. What was taking place upon. The garden and the park. Upon Mount Carmel. And we see the patience of these two. Of God and of Elijah now we shouldn't fail to notice we've already looked at that little phrase there at the end of verse 26 and they leapt upon the altar which was made (coughs) those of you with the Revised Standard Version you'll notice that it says which they made so the altar of Yahweh had been thrown down and we know that when Elijah gets to Horeb and he says doesn't he They have cast down thine altars. So the altars of Yahweh had been removed, we read in 1 Kings chapter 19. And a new altar had been placed in its stead. There's a very important lesson for us, brothers and sisters, here. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 6. They had removed God's truth. And they had replaced it with a new and exciting religion. Something that appealed to the natural senses. And so then in Jeremiah uh, chapter 6. We read the short verse in verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls But they said, we will not walk therein. This is a very important exhortation for us in our daily lives. What we're seeing Israel doing here is that they undermine the principles of the truth. They introduced a new religion that was exciting. It was exhilarating. It was fun. And, brethren, and sisters, as we've heard so many times this week, truth is truth. And we pass it from generation to generation. The Lord Jesus Christ was the personification of his father. He was the expressed image. He was the word made flesh. And he spoke the words of his father. He didn't add or he didn't take away. He spoke the words of his father. And how dare we, brethren and sisters, add and take away from the principles of the truth. How dare we? When the Lord Jesus Christ himself was the word made flesh. And this is what they'd done. And these prophets of Baal were all going to be destroyed. And I don't need to dwell on that. Well let's go back then to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we see now Elijah in a spiritual sense. He begins to mock them. He says there in verse 27. It came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. He had every reason to mock them. He'd been patient. He'd been watching them for all that time. And said cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Now, if we summarize this verse, Elijah was simply saying, you serve a God that can't do more than one thing. If he's involved in anything else, he's not going to listen to you, because he's occupied elsewhere. Now, the the tradition of the worship of Baal was that uh, the prophets of Baal would never go into their temple at noon, because that was a time that Baal slept. And because Baal was this god of fertility, he came during the harvest seasons. But during winter, he slept. So he was quite a lazy god in many ways, brethren, and sisters. He slept a long, long time. And so this is why Elijah is saying he sleepeth. It's either noontime or it's during the winter. You've got to shake him and wake him up. What's the god that we serve, brethren, and sisters? We serve a very different god. Let's go to Psalm 121. We might smile when we think about Baal, but what a powerful God we serve. Psalm 121, verse one. The psalmist says, "I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who Yahweh, which made heaven and earth." He made everything upon Carmel. He was the God of creation. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And brethren, and sisters, during this three and a half years, when no water fell, God still kept Israel. He didn't sleep. He's still attentive to their cry. Though they had no prophet, his love was such that he still keeps Israel. And he will continue to keep Israel till Jesus returns. That's the God that we serve, brethren and sisters. What a very different God we have. Now, there is a legend that Baal. When he died, his father, El, attempted to restore him. And he did it by cutting himself. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a a well-known legend. His father, El, he cut himself to bring this son of his back to life through his own blood. So then we begin to understand why, in verse 28, they cut themselves. That they wanted to energize Baal. But they couldn't. And look in your own time. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 1. God was very specific. Under Moses. That they were never to cut themselves. This was an apostasy. Upon Carmel. As far as God was concerned. Everything was wrong. They had abandoned entirely the law of Moses. Entirely brothers and sisters. Well then, the, the sun then reaches the apex of its height on its parabolic um, trajectory, reaches the apex of its height, and they realized that when midday was passed, in verse 29, they prophesied aloud. Those of you with the Revised Standard Version, it says they raved on. <laughs> they certainly did. And the reason why... Because they knew if Baal had not responded when Baal was at the the maximum height in its sky in the sky, overhead, for it was the god of the sun, then as it began to dip in the western sky, all hope of Baal responding to their cry declined and declined and declined, and so they were frantic. They did everything upon. The altar to respond, to have their God respond unto them. But it was the time of the sacrifice for the evening. I just want you to imagine now, amongst this mad scene, it was a mad scene. I believe we see Elijah demonstrating this still small voice. There he was, witnessing. And you see the language here. He waits patiently the time of the evening sacrifice, he's in the northern kingdom. He knew what was taking place in Jerusalem. The high priest would be offering the burnt offering upon the altar. The morning and the evening sacrifice. And Elijah said unto all the people, in verse 30, Come near unto me. Now what are those words? What are those words, brothers and sisters? Well, they are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say throughout his ministry? Come and follow me. Here's Elijah as a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he do? Well, we read at the end of verse 30, he repaired the altar of Yahweh that was broken down. Now, I'm led to believe that that word repaired is the first time or the only time in the scriptures that it relates to something physical. Because it literally means to heal. And every time that word is used elsewhere, it speaks of healing. So the original word means to heal, literally and spiritually. And Israel needed to be dealt with spiritually. Israel needed a physician. And who was the physician? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 58. And the prophet Isaiah speaks of the one who will come with, with healing in his beams. We would understand this character as Yahweh Rafika, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Isaiah chapter 58. Verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. This is exactly what Elijah was doing. He was the spiritual physician. The patient was dying. And he repaired the altar. Figuratively, he was healing the nation of Israel as a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who will come. The repair of the breach. The restorer of the path to dwell in. And they had lost the way, had they not? And he was restoring the, the old way. The old way that leads to life. The old way that leads to the tree of life. The way of God. And so here then, brothers and sisters, we have Elijah. Now, I believe, again, there's a very, very direct exhortation. The altar of God had been abandoned by Israel. And if we think about our own individual homes, brothers and sisters, and I think also of my home... Have we abandoned the altar of God? Has the altar of God become into disuse? How often do we gather our family, our brothers and sisters around the word of life and we speak about the things concerning the truth one to another? That's our altar. That's our altar. Our form of worship to God. And what have we done with them, brothers and sisters? These are all Exhortations for us today, waiting for the one who's going to come with rain, Elijah. What have we done with our altars? Have our altars fallen down? Well, let's go back then to 1 Kings chapter 18. We want to see now what Elijah does. Verse 31, and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Now, it's interesting because in verse 31, the the record says that these 12 stones that Elijah assembled related to the 12 sons of Jacob. And at the end of that verse, it says, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Now, what do you think? The name of Jacob and the name of Israel is being emphasised here. Well, surely it's directing our minds to the time when Jacob was changed to Israel. And what was he doing? He was wrestling with the angel at Jabok. Well, let's see the exhortation for ourselves. I'd like you to go to Hosea now. Hosea chapter 12. Because what Jacob did at Jagarok, when he wrestled with the angel, what he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Hosea says that that is an exhortation for all Israel and for all of us. Look at this. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4. Yea, he had power over the angel, that's Jacob, and he prevailed. And he went and made supplication unto him. He found him Bethel. And there he spake with us. See that? So though it was an individual wrestling that took place with Jacob and the angel. God is saying through his prophets. Israel I want you to look at that wrestling. And you've got to wrestle with the father. And you've got to continue. You've got to hold on. Until God blesses you. And then thereafter all the Gentiles. You've got to hold on until God blesses you. This is why the letters to the seven ecclesiastes in the book of Revelation. To those that overcome. To those that overcome. And so Elijah he's saying here then, remember your ancestor. Remember the patriarch. How he wrestled and he desperately wanted the blessing. You've got to overcome Israel. You've got to remove these bales. And you've got to follow the God of Israel. It's a lesson for all of us, brothers and sisters. But why 12 stones? Well, let's go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27. We're going to go through these verses rather quickly because of time. Deuteronomy chapter 27 is when the uh, children of Israel went into the land. And and what did they do? Well, we see in verse 22, And it shall come to pass in that day, when you pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones, and plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of his law, when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be, when ye go over Jordan, ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, in Mount Ebor, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Now that's exactly what Elijah was doing. He was building an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tore upon them. He didn't. Did he? He just assembled the stones. Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of a whole stones. And thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. He was going to offer a burnt offering. Verse 8. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law plainly. Now this is beautiful. Moses reminds the children of Israel as they go into the land, this is exactly what you've got to do. You've got to write the law upon these stones. Now, there's two mountains in Deuteronomy chapter 27. There's Gerizim and there's Ebal. Now, Gerizim was, as we see in verse 12, the Mount of Blessings. Now, what was special about Gerizim? It was a beautiful mount. It was full of lush foliage. It was carmel. It was carmel. But we read in verse 4, the altar's not placed on Gerizim, is it? It's placed upon Ebal. And we see in verse 13 that Ebal is the mount of cursing. Do you see what Elijah's doing? He's saying, This mount which is Gerizim, it can be your evil. You determine, you decide. And how was it going to be decided? The word of God is wonderful. Look at verse 15. This is what decides it. Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and put it in a secret place, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. That's exactly what they said, Amen. And so if they continued with Baal, and if they continued with the molten image, it would be evil, and they as a nation would be cursed. But if they were prepared to put away Baal and Balaam, it would be Gerizim. It would be a mount of blessings. But what would they do? Would they respond? Well, we continue uh, this theme a little more. Let's go to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And I just want you to glance down these verses. We don't really have time to read them. It's verses 1 to 10. And remember... Uh, when they were going into the land, Joshua, with the ark, what did they do? Well, they sent representatives of the twelve tribes, and uh, these men, they took stones from the, uh, the riverbed, and they placed them where? Well, we see where they placed them in verse 19 and 20. They placed them at Gilgal. Now, that's fitting, isn't it? Because Gilgal means a rolling away or a cutting off. And then the twelve stones upon the land were placed as a pillar within the river. Twelve. And so Elijah's saying, remember when you went into the land. The land that flows with milk and honey. And look at it now. It's not a land of milk and honey at all. But God will bring the blessing. Because remember your relationship with God. You are those twelve smooth stones that came out of the riverbed of Jordan. As a figure of baptism. And where are you? You're in Gilgal. You've cut off. But look at you today. You don't have that special relationship with God. And you haven't cut off. Can you see where Elijah is taking them to? He's taking them to the beginning. When they went into the land. And how things had desperately changed. How sad things were. Now... It's an unusual phrase because we read in chapter 18 and verse 32, as Elijah built the altar, he built a trench that would contain two measures of seed. Now that's quite a difficult phrase to understand. I want to try and explain this to you in Jeremiah chapter 31. Elijah now is the healer. He's the repairer of the breach. He's the restorer of old paths. He's a type of the Lord. Jesus Christ. Now, the separation, the separation between the north tribes and the south tribes, and the separation between God and the northern tribes. And there's a lot of healing to be done. So we come then to Jeremiah chapter 31, and I believe this was in the mind of of Elijah here. Two measures of seed. I suggest to you, it's Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And here then in Jeremiah chapter 21. Hopefully this will prove it to you. Behold, verse 27. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. Verse 31. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. A new covenant was to be made this day. God was going to rekindle his law within their hearts. But it was going to fail. That's why Elijah will have to come again and restore all things where he will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So possibly then that two measures of seed speaks of his intent but also speaks of a greater work to come. Now there was 12 uh, barrels of water uh, that was poured upon The altar. We don't really have time to consider that in much detail, but 12 is a figure of the hope of Israel. And we see that that was the mind of Elijah, the hope of Israel. But what I do want you to note is a little phrase in verse 36 of chapter 18. In this wonderful prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, halfway down verse 36, he appeals to his God and says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel... Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Now, you might think on face value that that is a common expression. It's not at all. It has only been used once before. Before Elijah uses these words. And I want you to come back to where those words are used. I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And I want to show you now... Where that expression is used before, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and we see what was on the mind of Elijah. So then, Exodus chapter 3, we know the account well, when God spoke to Moses through the fire, we see there, verse 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid To look upon God. So that's the first time we come across that phrase, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now look at this, verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am, Ea, Asher, Ea, I will be who I will be. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, or Ea, I will be, hath sent me unto you. Now, and God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's the time. That's what Elijah is quoting. When God spoke to Moses through the bush, has sent me unto you, this is my name forever, and his memorial unto all generations, go and gather the elders of Israel. And say unto them, The Lord God, or Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. Don't you find that absolutely remarkable? There's Elijah quoting the words of God to Moses. He quotes the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The contest upon Mount Carmel was who was the name of the God, Yahweh or Baal. And there in verse 15, God says to Moses, "'This is my name forever.'" Elijah had gathered the children of Israel to go Mount Carmel. Look at verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together. And the most startling part of this chapter. How did God speak to Moses? Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. That was Carmel. That's what Elijah was commanding or requesting in prayer. That God answered him through fire so that Israel would know that God had sent his prophets.